It's been good to be here tonight. Enjoyed all the good singing. And appreciate each one that's out uh, to worship the Lord. And I do have a message out of the book of James tonight. James chapter 1, and Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 of this message. James chapter 1. And when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for reading God's Word? James chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth, wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. I'm praying now that you'll help us just for a little while, God, to preach on this text. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the human opinion of the book of James is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus' brothers were a little a long time coming around to the fact that their brother was the Savior of all men, but we do understand from reading God's Word that they did believe. Mm -hmm. And here James uh, is mentioned, but notice he doesn't mention the fact that he's the Lord's brother. Uh, he doesn't mention that he's an apostle. He doesn't mention that he's considered the bishop of the church there in Jerusalem. In fact, he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. In other words, I'm a nothing is what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I'm a nobody. And I like it when people understand, you know, that uh, we really are nothing. True. Uh, compared to God, we're just, uh, just a little speck. But I'm thankful that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that a little speck like me could be saved. Amen. Well, you know, your Christian walk is really defined by your view of God. If you view God as high, holy, exalted, lifted up, your Christian walk will also reflect that belief. And may I say to you tonight, if you do not view God as high, holy, lifted up, but rather you don't see Him that way, then your Christian walk will also reflect that as well. Yeah. You see, however you think of the Lord is how you're going to live your life. To James, being a servant was more important than being somebody known or worthy to be known as some kind of accomplishment he's made. His view of God is high, holy, exalted, and lifted up, and it shows in his writing. Now James is writing to a, a dispersed people. The twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now what that means, that's Jews who've been scattered outside the area of Palestine. But these are saved Jews. These are Christian Jews. They're no longer practicing Judaism. They're practicing Christians. They're Christians. And so he's addressing them. If you remember after Stephen was martyred, that uh, the Jews began scattered all around the place. They scattered from Jerusalem and headed out into all areas of the world. Well, these are some that he's speaking to. And he calls them brethren. Assuming these people he's writing to are saved. That's why you would call someone a brethren in the Bible as they're saved. 
And that word is used, by the way, 15 different times in this one tiny little epistle. And he doesn't spend time telling them how to be saved. He assumes they're already saved, so he's telling them how to, to live a proper Christian living is what he's really reflecting upon. Look at verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Well, the very first thing here, he's speaking about joy. The joy of a Christian. Now, I believe it was last Sunday. I stood here talking about uh, the book of Philippians and how it was the book of joy. And, and how a Christian should have joy. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we're some, you know, laughing and giggling and, and just sprouting off happy all the time. Uh, no, we're going to go through things. We're not going to be that way all the time. But that joy is down deep in our heart. That's right. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Isn't that what we used to say? Yep. And so a Christian, anybody that loves the Lord knows that the Lord lives inside of us and we've got that joy down inside of us that we can bring up in those times of trouble and trials, <clears throat> divers temptations, as the King James calls it right here. This divers temptations don't mean they're a bunch of scuba divers. They're not out there doing that. <laughs> this divers means many kinds of temptations. And that word temptation is not a simple type of temptation. It means trials. You see, God doesn't tempt a Christian with a sinful type of trial or temptation. No, it's always a spiritual one. It's one that is going to be for our betterment. And so He does give us these trials and diver temptations He's speaking of. This is not temptations of the devil. These are things that a Christian has to go through at times. And I was listening to Brother Scott Pauley. If you don't know him, he's a, he's a wonderful preacher. He's an evangelist now. He used to be out at Crown College where I graduated from. And uh, I was listening to him one time preach, and he said this about joy. He said, the Lord's joy is a deep current. It is way beneath the surface where nobody else goes. The world can't give it to you, and the world can't take it away. Amen. Real joy only comes from the Lord. Yeah. I like that. I like that so much when I heard him say it, I had to write it down. And that's wonderful. That's what James is trying to convey to these Christian Jews who are scattered abroad. He said they should count it as joy when they fall into divers' temptations. So, in other words, when life's trials come upon you, uh, we need to count that as joy. Now, not that you're overjoyed to be having gone through a trial. None of us are. No. You know, I'm not sitting around waiting and asking the Lord to send me a trial because I want to be so happy about it. Uh, that is a very strange way to think about it. This flesh, you know, every, time to time we go through trials, but we also understand that we learn from trials. And it's how we come out on the other end that proves us who we are. Yeah. You see, you can go through a trial and you can fight against it and cry about it and, 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 and feel all sorry for yourself, or you can go through it realizing the Lord is there for you and you can lean upon His strong arm. Amen. And it's how you come out the other end and let you know just how strong of a, a faith that you have. And so that's what He alludes to in the next verse. Verse 3, look at it. It says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And how many years going to say that you're so patient? You're the most patient person. Go get in the line somewhere and see how patient you are. Uh, I tell you, I, I, I'll, right now tonight, I'll just confess and tell you I'm sometimes not the most patient man. Uh, but these divers temptations, when they come up against you, they try your faith and it makes you a more patient Christian. You see, what we need to do is, do is realize we've got to rely on the Lord for these times, and not on ourselves. So when you're going through these diver temptations, these trials that we must go through, 
We've got to realize that God is there with me and for me and, and He's going to help me. And I can't do it on my own, so I'm going to rely upon His strength. And through that, we'll find we get patience. Patience as a Christian. And that's a good thing because we need it. We yeah. need patience. Uh, Paul tells the Christians over in Rome, in Romans 12 and 12, he said, rejoicing in hope, patience in tribulation, continuing in instant prayer. Now, let me tell you, one thing you probably don't want to pray for is patience. Because over in Romans 5, 3, it says tribulation work of patience. Uh, trust me, it's, uh, you know, uh, you'll find it naturally. You'll find it. Look at verse 4. It says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So there are good things that comes out of being patient. It makes us, the Bible says, perfect. Now, does that mean that we're, you know, uh, perfect people? No, that's not what it means. It don't mean we've got no flaws. It, it's, it's not perfect like Christ is perfect. Uh, we won't obtain that until we reach heaven. We get out of this flesh that we live in. Uh, but it means to be perfect in your Christian walk. In other words, that someone could look upon that person and say, that right there is how a Christian should live. That man, that woman right there, that is the model of a Christian. They're, they're living a life like a Christian should live. And that's what these trials and this patience does for us. It makes us walk more like the Lord. Yeah. And that should be our goal. Yeah. It should be our goal to go through that sanctification process on a daily basis where we're trying to walk and talk and act more like the Lord Jesus. Yeah. When I was a kid, I wanted to be my dad. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to walk like him. And I do. My wife says, every time I see you walking off, you look like your dad. <laughs> And so I wanted to walk like him and talk like him and act like him. I wanted to wear the same clothes, the same old boots he used to wear. I used to walk in his, his footprints in the garden. We'd get that thing plowed and, and then get a disc and, and he'd go walking through there and throw on seed, you know, and everything. And I'd be just trying to get in those boot tracks, you know, wanting to walk in them. And uh, that's the way we all be in the Lord. We all be trying to get in his footsteps and walk like he walks. So, you know, uh, it means completeness. That perfectness as a Christian that, that completes us. And instead of fighting and kicking our way through patience, we need to let the Lord let us have this patience. He cultivates us. He shapes us and molds us into the kind of Christian that we need to be, that God desires for us to be. It's like the potter and the clay. The clay doesn't get on, on the wheel and, and punches the way out. Uh, the potter is the one that shapes and forms it. It's not the clay. And so we need to understand that that is our relationship with God. And He will mold us if we'll be patient. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. There's a lot of people I wish they would ask for that. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Some more wisdom. And I'm one of them. I need wisdom. And uh, the Lord says that if we lack wisdom, we need to ask Him for it. And He's glad to give it to us. And not only just a little bit, but liberally. That means a whole bunch. And, you know, we pray about things a lot of times in this life. And, you know, things that uh, we're going through. And uh, How many times, though, have you got that and prayed for God to give you wisdom? That seems to be a rarity these days, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, Lord, help me through this sickness. Help me through this pain. Help me through this problem. Help me through this and that. How many times have you said, Lord, please give me wisdom? 
that needs to be right there at the top of our list of things to pray for because through wisdom we find that it, it makes us become more perfect in our Christian walk. And the Lord will give it to us liberally. And as he says, he'll give it to us. We just got to ask. Uh, if you remember Solomon over in the Bible, when God said, you know, to ask him whatever he'd have, for what he wanted was wisdom. He could have asked for anything. Want to be the richest man in the world? No. Want wisdom? Well, through that wisdom, he, he was able to be practically the, the richest man in the world. But the Bible says that God gave him wisdom and that there was no one before him or since that was smarter or had more wisdom than Solomon. So I guess the first thing we need to do is realize that we need more wisdom. That we're lacking in wisdom. That we hate to ask for things, don't we? We hate to ask for that. And we're a bunch of know-it-alls. Well, Lord, I'm pretty smart. You know, I think I've got plenty of wisdom. You know, everybody thinks they're smart these days. We can get on Google and look everything up. <laughs> when I was a kid, we just we had to go to the library and go through a card catalog and find a book and then we had to go read it, look it up, and all that. Why well, nowadays you just pull your phone out of your pocket and you've got the answer within seconds. Uh, so we're smart elves, know-it-alls. So smart we got it all under control. But if we're truthful, we admit we really don't know as much as we think we do. We, we rely upon a lot of other things to give us this wisdom. And uh, we're truly lacking in it. We should pray that the Lord would give us wisdom. And the wisdom the Lord gives you is not necessarily what you want to find on Google. It's the things that only the deep things of God. That's the kind of wisdom we want. We yeah. desire spiritual things that only God can give you. And he says he'll give it to you liberally. A whole bunch. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. The Scot just talked about the master of the sea. He can calm those uh, uh, seas that are driven with wind and tossed. Here James reminds us that everything we pray for, we must be praying in faith. Not praying in wavering. Now how many of you besides myself can say, Brother Byron, sometimes I pray and I thought there ain't no way God's going to answer my prayer. Absolutely. Am I the only one? Y'all's the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it. I've got down and prayed for something. I think, well, God's probably not. This is probably the last thing on his list. There's just no use even doing this. I don't even know why I'm praying for it. I, you know. And the Bible says if we pray, uh, it says pray with faith, not wavering. And if we waver, thinking they're, well, you know, if we're not expecting God to answer our prayers, and why are we even bothering? Because in the next verse, he says, for let not that man think that he can receive anything from the Lord. Now that's scary right there. Yeah. So if you get down and pray about something, you don't really believe that God can do it or will do it or don't have enough faith that he, he will or can, you might as well just quit because the Bible says there that you're not going to receive anything anyway. So we must pray in, in faith, not wavering. God, I know you can do this and I believe in it. And Lord, if it be your will, God, you know my heart's desire, God, but if you'll answer this prayer. And Lord, I, I believe it. You know, I, with faith, I'm praying that you'll help me. And so that's the way we got to approach God in prayer. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the great faith chapter of the Bible. Just all those people with great faith. And it says in Hebrews 11, 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the Bible tells us more than one time that if we're going to be praying to the Lord about things, then we need to be praying in faith. 
Because without that, we can't even please God. Right. It's impossible. Impossible. You know what impossible means, don't you? It means not possible. It means it's not possible. So don't think that you can please God by coming to Him with no faith in Him. Because it's impossible. And over in Acts chapter 12, if you remember the time that Peter was arrested, and of course they wanted to kill him, you know, that, that was the time that so much persecution was going on. They wanted to get rid of those apostles and, and such. But they had imprisoned Peter. And the church was in a house. And they were all praying for Peter. And I imagine, the Bible doesn't say exactly what their prayer was, but I imagine they were praying that Peter would get out of prison. And that God would watch over and keep him safe and, and, and give him freedom. Well, that's exactly what happened. Peter got freed from prison. The Lord, if you remember the story... Uh, how he just walked right past the prison guards and, and uh, you know, he just walked right out of there. Well, apparently not everybody was praying in faith for Peter. Because when he came and knocked on the door, they didn't believe it was him. And uh, there was a, a lady there, her name was Rhoda, I believe. And Rhoda was telling that Peter was at the door. And they thought that she had completely lost her mind. That she was seeing ghosts or something. Uh, she was mad, they, they thought. So apparently some of them were not praying in faith. And that reminds me today of a lot of times in church. Uh, not praying with the faith that we need to pray. Pray about something and when it happens, we don't even recognize that that was God's hand working right. on that. Uh, there's so many things that go on in our life that God does that, that we just chalk up to happenstance or circumstance. Or, that was lucky. I don't believe in luck. I believe in providence. I believe that God orchestrates everything. And so we need to recognize that. Even the trees blooming, the, the sun shining, that's God's hand doing that. Without Him, none of those things would be possible. So we're not much better than those that were praying for Peter without faith. Look at verse 8. This is where I got really the title of my text. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded man. Is unstable in all his ways. He's talking about somebody who has two different spirits about him. Yeah. And you know these kind of people. They're one way around one type of people, they're another way around another set of people. Yes. They act one way in church, they act a different way out in the world. If you saw them in a different setting than a Christian setting, you, you wouldn't believe that they're acting that way. It's a double minded man. Two natures about it. One part tries to act one way, the other part tries to act another way. And they think that they're keeping it even. As long as they stay on this side of the fence with this crowd and this side of the, the, the fence with this crowd, everything would be a okay. And uh, they believe, you know, a certain way at one time, a different way. And I've been around those people all my life. In fact, I've lived with one all my life. <laughs> and it ain't my wife. It's that man I see in the mirror. Double-minded sometimes. One way one day and another way the next. But then, there was a time in my life that I thought I could live both ways. I could live like a Christian on Sunday and Wednesday nights and then live any way I wanted to the rest of the week. Well, the Lord told me different from that. When I was a young man, probably eight or nine years old, I may have told this okay uh, already, but uh, I'm going to tell it again. And so uh, sometimes I tell I do things like that. But uh, I was following my grandfather up in the woods. Lorne Chesky was his name, Lorne. He didn't allow me to call him Papa. 
He made us call him by his name, Lauren. And his my grandmother was Bessie. Bessie Chester. And that's what they made us call him. Well, I was following Lauren up through the uh, woods one day. He had a big farm around our house. Uh, it was sectioned off with an electric fence because he kept cattle. And on, on the other side of the electric fence was my Uncle Chester and Aunt Barbara's house up there on top of the hill. And so we go up through there and Lauren walks up. Now Lauren's only five, he was only about five foot seven, weighed probably 90 pounds. Uh, but I was just a little boy. I was even smaller than him at that time. Probably weighed more than he did, but I was shorter. And uh, I was following him up through there. And he got to that electric fence and he just put one leg over the top of it. Then he stepped over and got right over the top of it. And I figured, well, if he can do that, I can do it too. So what did I do? I grabbed the iron post that was on the fence. And I slung my leg over and sat right on top of that electric fence. And I went for the ride of my life. I mean, I got the buzz like you would not believe. I was shocked up and down. I finally fell off, thought I passed out. I might have, I don't know. But I was laying on the ground crying, looking up at my grandfather, Lauren Chesney, as he was laughing at me. And I realized at that point, you can't straddle the fence. You can't be on one side of the fence on, with one foot and one on the other because you're going to go for a ride of your life. This is the same as your Christian walk. You can't walk like a Christian on one side and walk like a world on the other side. And think that you're going to get by It's not going to last very long. You're going to go for the ride of your life. You don't want to be in that position. Living a double-minded way is unstable. It's unstable. It's far from God. That's not how God wants us to live. Social media is one of the worst places in the world to discover double-minded people. They post one, one thing one day and they post something completely disgusting the next day. Yep. So they'll post a Bible verse on Sunday and on Monday they're posting something dirty on there. Double-minded. You can't honor the Lord and honor the devil at the same time. James 3 and 10 says, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not so to be. One of the greatest damages to the church these days is people that profess Christ as Savior, say they're saved, and uh, they want the benefits of living a Christian life. They want to be a Christian, be known as a Christian, but they have no desire to live a holy life. They have no desire to live a Christian life. But yet they want to be a Christian in name. And I believe it's the Catholics who say they're a practicing Catholic and a non-practicing. Or maybe it's another, I don't know. One of them says they're non-practicing. Maybe it's Jews. We need to pick that up as Baptists. I'm, I'm a Christian or a non-practicing Christian. Because there's a lot of non-practicing Christians running around today. Yes. Double-minded. The Apostle Paul had something to say about this. Romans 6, 1 and 2. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer where therein? In other words, once we became saved, we became a new creature in Christ. We're no longer to live like that old man. Yeah. Sure, he's still there. Sure, we must battle him. But we don't join up with him. We don't hold hands with the old man and say, you got this side and I got this. We're not the little angel and the devil that sits on the shoulders like on the cartoons that you used to watch. We can't be that way. Yeah. We can't live like we did in the past. We can't live the non-Christian life. 
in the week and live like a Christian on the Lord's day. That's double minded. Matthew 15 and 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I'm afraid there's a lot of that going on in churches today. A lot of this lip service. Oh, we love the Lord. We'll stand the choir and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, but I hate that guy down there in that pew. I hate that woman over there. I can't stand to hear that guy singing. I can't stand that preaching. Is that who we become today? Double-minded. Yeah. Double-minded. Jesus said their lips honor me, but their hearts are for me. That reminds me of those Pharisees. Oh, we're God's men. You see the borders of my garment? You see all this that I'm doing? Do you hear me pray? Do you not hear how wonderful I Jesus said these double-minded people worship him in vain. In other words, they might as well not even bother putting on the pretense of worship because he knows their heart. Their lips said one thing, but their heart said another. In Psalms 12, 2 and 3, the Bible says they speak vanity. Every one with his neighbor with flattering lips and with a double heart did they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. And of course, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 15 and 18, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. And I'm afraid that that's where it all stems from, yeah. is the heart of man. The heart of women, the heart of men. That's where that true double-mindedness comes from, because it's down in the heart. Until we get these hearts right with God, until we settle it with the Lord, we're going to continue being double-minded. Thinking this way, this time, and thinking another on the next, pretending to be this kind of person on this day, and pretending to be somebody else on another day. Lastly, in Romans 10, 9 through 10, the Bible says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, again, it stems from our heart. Where is our true heart? Is our true heart on the Lord? Is that really our love? We, we claim that. Lord, I love you. I love you with all my heart. And that's our... That's really our commandment is to love the Lord God with all of our heart and soul, all of our being, all of our mind. All of us, we're to love God. That's the number one thing. But yet we sure don't live like it a lot of times. What if you treated your spouse the way that you treat the Lord? I'm afraid many would be divorced. If, if, if many people treat their, their spouse the way they do God and show up you know, whenever they wanted to, Make promises that they don't keep. Yeah. Uh, forsake them. Say, I love the Lord, but yet I'm going to go babble into this simple activity. Try that with your spouse and see how far you're going to stay married. But yet we think we treat God that way. That's double-mindedness. So what about it tonight? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Where's your soul? Are you unstable in all your ways? 
if you are, we need to repent of it tonight. Get that heart cleaned up. Get things right with God while we still can. Brother Scott, would you come get a song? Let's stand together and we'll pray. If you have a need tonight, you need to come to altar for any reason you come back. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message. Lord, thank you for what you told us in your word. God, we know it's true. God, we serve you. We love you. God, we don't want to be double-minded. God, I know there's not a woman here in here tonight, God, that wants to be that way. But Lord, you know our flesh is weak. Our minds, Lord, sometimes we're weak. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And God, we know, Lord, that you can help us with it. Lord, we just turn it over to you. Confess of our faults and our failures and our sins. And God, let you take over. Help us tonight with the Father. One needs help tonight. Would you help me? Help me, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need help, you come to